Our reading is from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, reading from verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Nice to see you all. It's actually wonderful to be here and be back and in church and, and seeing you all in person. It is just a, an absolute delight. Question for you this morning is, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, today's text actually speaks of a couple of really, really important points and possibly some points that we don't reflect on as much as we possibly ought to. We mostly speak, when we speak of the gospel, we speak of things like salvation, we speak of suffering, uh, repentance, forgiveness, uh, all those things, which of course are all very valuable things and issues, but we find that in this text, there are the underlying truths that we should also be focusing on in our own lives. Of course, the thing I'm speaking of here is peace and of sharing. But let us pray. Let us pray that we will have open hearts, receive this text, and indeed apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we do come to you to thank you for your goodness. We thank you for giving us your son, that he would suffer for us and give us peace with you, and giving your peace to us. We pray that we will understand these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the opening verses, of course, today tells us some of some really scared disciples. In verse 19, we are told, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for the fear of the Jews. They were scared. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it is worth, I think, mentioning that Mary had already told these disciples that she had seen the Lord, seen him alive, risen, resurrected. And with all respect due for these disciples, uh, it, should, it should have filled them with joy, with courage, with comfort, knowing that the Lord, with authority of all creation and death, was once again with them, even though maybe not there with them right then. They had, after all, seen all his miracles, had they not? They had also gone as far as declaring him and acknowledging him to be the Son of God. Mary had also declared in the John eleven twenty seven, 27, and she's a disciple, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who come into the world. 
So she knew. And Peter, on behalf of the disciples, when Jesus asks them, who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. So they knew this. They had declared that to be the truth. They declare, and this declared belief may have been dented when Jesus died on the cross, obviously. But surely when Mary told them, I have seen the Lord, some or at least some or all of that confidence ought to have returned, should it not? But we humans, we are a fickle lot, aren't we? Just as the disciples needed further evidence, so do you and I, and maybe from time to time, you and I being the recipients of his Holy Spirit, after all, have at some point also we have declared, have you not, I have seen the Lord. Interestingly enough, though, we are frequently a little concerned about this world and how we are being treated by this world if we are just a little bit too out there about our belief and trust in Jesus. But see, things are looking up here for the disciples now. Remember, we're in a room, in the upper room, and the doors are locked, and they're fearful of the Jews. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The words used by Jesus in this context is probably more than likely shalom. And shalom is not, not just a way for the Israelites to say hi or g'day. It's much more than that. It actually carries with it a greeting, a blessing. God bless you. Considering that this blessing of God means that you have peace with God, it speaks to the very essence of what we now know as the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And most of us will speak about the price that is paid, about our salvation, his death, his resurrection, and so on. And it's all right. And, of course, all of that is very, very much part of the gospel. The key, however, to this good news that we get about Jesus Christ is the peace between you and God, which is what, what Paul teaches us in Romans 5.1. He then speaks of, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we get, the peace. At no stage was your or my disunity and our opposition to God any different to that which was on full display in Jerusalem when the Pharisees crucified Jesus Christ. And Paul leaves us in no doubt as to that truth in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, peace is an interesting concept, certainly in human terms. You know, what, what, what do we call peace? Maybe the, one of the most famous declarations of peace is that of a chamberlain, a man coming back from talking to Hitler, coming back to England, declaring to the world, peace in our time I have brought. <laughs> yeah, and a few days later, the World War II is fully on. That's a human concept. 
When we define the concept of peace, however it is for the most of it, it's speaking of the ending of the hostilities between two parties, is it not? Such peace will require either one or both parties to have the ability to uphold the peace. Man doesn't have a great track record of that, but God does. When God established peace between himself and you, he set that peace in place for eternity because he's willing, but maybe more importantly, he is able to. He holds, after all, the power and authority to make all this possible. What he says goes, his will rules. A man-made peace could be maybe at best could be called a truce because we know it's going to end, is it not? That places, of course, peace at the very heart of what we as understanding the gospel to be. A very strong and invaluable or in, yeah, invaluable ingredient of this peace, a valuable ingredient, what am I saying here, is the peace of mind that we have when we have a matured faith in Christ. It is of great value. Often when I speak to people as they are nearing end of life, they speak of being at peace. They speak of this peace as a confidence of knowing where they're heading and having no fear of death. That side of this peace is achieved through the fact that they know in their hearts that they will be met in heaven by a God with a loving smile and no condemnation. They also know this peace could only ever, ever be secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is genuinely an assurance through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is in then this, we also can consider this peace to be the actual central message of what is to be shared. It is a peace so different to any other peace, just as God's love is also so very different to any other love that we will ever experience in our lives. In verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, they too now have experienced what Mary experienced at the tomb. They have seen the Lord. They have now seen him alive. They have seen the resurrected Lord. Not like Lazarus, however, that was brought back to life, but he's resurrected to a new and an eternal life with a spiritual body, such as you and I also will have on the time that we return into heaven with him when he comes back next time. A body that is not limited by things like walls and doors, obviously. Jesus had appeared to them in a room with doors locked. In verse 21, again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. It's almost as if Jesus is telling them that this peace is a means of bringing them to the fact that he's about to tell them something they really need to understand. It is all part of the peace that is provided for them. Peace is obviously an important aspect of everything that we have to know about Jesus Christ. 
But it isn't just the peace we have with God. It's also the peace of God. Paul, again, in Philippians, had understood the essence of that particular essence, part of peace of God. In verse 6 in chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have peace with God, but it is peace of God made by him for us. No doubt the disciples really appreciated this. They have gone through a terrible week, absolutely horrendous. For three years they had walked with Jesus. They had come to know him. They have come to love him. And they've gone even as far as declaring him to be the son of God, the Messiah, and yet had not up until then not fully understood, but they had had this terrible week. And now seeing Jesus again, well, you can just imagine. Just imagine they have seen him die on the cross and now they stand here with him, alive in front of them. What a relief that would have been for then Jesus to call the peace of God to be on them. It would have been like a healing balm. It would have been a soothing on an open wound. It is what they have lived for and hoped for. It is what they have walked with him for three years and understood that is what they were going to get. We could maybe sometimes just maybe stop in our own busy days and ponder this peace and what that means in your own life. Have you ever truly, fully comprehended that such peace is yours to be had and to be kept? See, we live in a world in turmoil with disunity, conflict. And even as we are living in this world, we are not of this world. And the ladies sat through a teaching on that the other day. See, we are in the world. He left us in this world, but we are not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we read of this in John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the word has hate, the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world when Jesus prays to the Father. And Paul reminds us what that teaching was in Romans 8, 9. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Living with and experiencing this peace is also not always that easy for us. Well, we do live, as it were, in this world, and we have troubling things happening to us. We get sick and we lose a loved one. We are mistreated by even family and friends and we struggle to feel the peace. And yet we do know in our very hearts that we do have this peace even then. All of these conflicting feelings are part of this understanding we also have, that we are saved and we have this peace and yet, as we say, we are not fully saved yet. 
that's still to come. But Jesus have already paved a way for this, made it all possible for you and I. The question simply is this. Do we take some moments to reflect on this part of the truth that he has given us through the guiding of the Holy Spirit as we read his text? Part of such reflection is also to come in terms with what this may mean for us as an individual Christ follower. Being a disciple, of course, we know that as a blessing, don't we? But it also comes with, well, let's call them just some obligations that we have. If we call and recall what Jesus told Mary at the tomb, then maybe in this is now in the upper room, he's preparing them for the same message. The 12 disciples, Jesus had told Mary at the tomb, he had said, go instead to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to be with my father and your father and to be with my God and your God. And now he tells the disciples, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. See, Jesus never asks anything of you, anything of the disciples, anything that he himself haven't already done or are doing. He never asked you to do anything that he hasn't done. It was his love for the Father and his commitment to the task that was given to him that has brought you and I to this place today with this peace in our hearts. We've been asked in no uncertain terms to love Jesus. Starting in Deuteronomy 6.5, we are indeed taught that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we have it in the New Testament in Luke. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The last line we have there about your neighbor is what links your love for Jesus with your eagerness to serve him and show your love of your neighbor wanting so dearly to share the gospel with everyone you meet. That is showing Jesus that you love him, that you love your neighbor. It is a loving thing to do after all, sharing this gospel of peace that we have spoken of. Verses 22 and 23, however, gives us also an insight into the difference between you and I and the disciples that would later become the apostles. In 22, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, we know it's not until the Pentecost, 50 days later, that the Holy Spirit actually is shared by God with all believers called by God. But Jesus has given these men something truly special. They are uniquely special. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's power. That is wisdom. That is being godly. And only God can judge and forgive. We know that. In Luke 5.21, we were told 
the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And we know that. You and I know that we cannot forgive sins on behalf of God anyway. We can forgive sins. Even if some churches and some people calling themselves priests today thinks they have the opportunity to forgive and that their forgiveness is God's forgiveness. Well, we certainly have been taught that we need to have the heart to forgive those that sin against us. See, in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to us, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. If you're not willing to forgive, what do you expect? There are two things we should never withhold. Never. The gospel of Jesus. It is a gift given to us to share. It is a message of peace and also our forgiveness of others, which is the foundation of the peace that God has given you. In the last 20 minutes, has been a long answer to the question I started with, what is the gospel? Let me give you the short answer. <laughs> it is an eternal peace treaty established and implemented by God for all who believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And may the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ dwell richly in your hearts all the days of your life. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you. We do have peace in our hearts, Lord. But sometimes we are troubled in our minds. We pray, Lord, that you continually with your Holy Spirit guiding us will see us through our days on earth, that we may love each other, but we will show that love by the love we have for your Son, Jesus. May you go with us, each one. May you guide us to understand all these things and may we have the time from time to time to just ponder this peace in our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.